0: The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF different, visit fvf.law.
1: thanks for listening to moon tower soccer on today's show we're going to review austin fc's 3-1 win over colorado and preview the next match against minnesota united we're also going to chat with eric goodman who covers austin fc for the austin chronicle and was on the ground in denver for the denver day weekend my name is landon cottam and i'm joined as always by mr jeremiah
0: bentley hey everybody i'm jeremiah bentley um Landon, i was in denver also and now I've gotten back I just feel like the air is different like is there's did something happen while I was away did like <laughs> did spring come or like how, how do you feel about what's going on in this city this week I think
1: you were there for it Jeremiah
0: yeah it's just victory victory makes everything but, smell yeah. and sound different yeah
1: uh, how are, have you recovered have you fully recovered from the weekend
0: uh I've almost recovered from the weekend and I've recovered better than Chris Wellhausen has but I have not <laughs> We actually had a moment with a dog this morning. We ended up having to take him to the vet. Um, oh no! And he's okay now, but it was it was kind of a mess. Like it was a, it was a rude awakening. He was stomach issues. Is probably all I need to say about that. But <laughs> he's better. Uh, how, so I got a,
1: a late night text from Chris Wellhausen the night of the game, the night after the game. Uh, how, how I think you were with him. How many people did he text? I love you, and what state was he in when he was doing this
0: <laughs> well it was a, it was at least a half dozen and there was one moment we were at the uh we were at the at this bar after the game and Andy Lockname showed up and Chris is like don't leave me alone with Andy name. and then i looked over 20 minutes later i was like oh no like chris has andy in a corner and so i i don't i don't know what conversation they had um, and Andy may may hate all of us now, but I th- I think it went okay. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, I
1: yeah, I'm I'm glad you guys had a good time. All, Chris Wilson also had like a little tweet storm w- that was pretty entertaining that night as well. I think the like that went on until the wee hours of the morning. It appeared, but I think one of them was Austin FC is the greatest club in the world and uh something along the lines of Messi would would be on Austin FC's bench or something like that.
0: Yeah, that's right. And then, uh, somebody eventually fed that line to the uh pilot for our Southwest Airlines flight who <laughs> when we landed announced that the fans were Austin FC and that we were going to win the World Cup. So I'm not sure where they got <laughs> their information, but it was great. We were all into it. We all cheered.
1: All right. Well, yeah, I'm I'm very excited to uh, to go to Minnesota this coming weekend. It's not going to be the same thing. Minnesota didn't give us quite as many tickets. I think there's going to be like maybe 20 or 30 of us there instead of the 200 that were in Denver. But I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. It's going to be my first time on a plane uh, <laughs> in, since COVID yeah. started and my first time in a new city that's not in Texas since COVID started. So I'm pretty pumped about it. Uh, do you want to... Talk about the Colorado game? Let's talk about the Colorado game. All right. So going into it, um, like leading up to the game, I guess, what were our expectations for this game?
0: Well, I want to I luckily made a prediction and I you said maybe on Twitter recently that you weren't in the prediction business or like predictions were fruitless or what, what was your what was your statement on that? Um, I
1: don't remember what wording I use, but like picking the scores of a game just like it seems like nobody knows what the score of a game is going to be. And even if you make an educated guess, it's like, I don't know. It seems like a silly thing to do to me. So I think saying someone's going to win or whatever, but saying like it's going to be two to one, like you don't know. You don't know any, You don't know what the score is going to be. So I, well, what was your prediction?
0: Well, uh, Chris Bills uh, forced me into making a score prediction on the Striker Live <laughs> uh, Saturday before the game, and I and I predicted we would win two to one. So I feel... I feel like Not that's far. well with well within that range of expectations so I, f- I felt good about that. Yeah. Well done.
1: Um yeah, I I think last like last week we said Colorado's kind of an unpredictable unpredictable team so we don't really know what what's going to happen but um let's talk about the lineup before we get into talking about the actual game. So I think there were a few question marks that we weren't sure exactly what was going to happen. Um in goal, Brad Stuver got the start again uh did, did that surprise you at all or did you think because
0: he's the hot hand looked really good last week he was going to be in there yeah I felt like I felt like he earned the opportunity to keep his spot with the way he played last week and I just don't know how much opportunity you know in between games when you're, you're probably practicing I don't know what is it like three days and then you fly you know I don't know how, I don't know how much a backup can really differentiate themselves so you know I'd expect that he's gonna he's gonna stay there until he gives Josh a reason to, to sit him out. Did you feel the same way?
1: I did. I, I, I thought that, I mean, Stuver definitely earned the next start. Um, the only thing that gave me a little bit of doubt is I was talking to Roberto Silva from The Striker the other day. And he said that like a lot of times when teams have a legitimate goalkeeper competition, they might have a schedule set out. Like you're starting this game, you're starting this game, you're starting this game. And he said it's pretty common for for teams to do whenever there's not a clear number one. Um, and so I was curious if they if they maybe had something like that because it did seem very close in preseason. But if they did have a rotation planned, then Stuver broke that rotation by performing so well, which I'm I'm happy to see that because I think it. I I don't know. Goalkeeping seems like a real um kind of a confidence position like you don't want to break Stuber's confidence by taking him out after such a good position, uh, a good performance. So I was happy to see him get the start again. Um, some of the other surprises uh, on the back line, Matt Beisler, his wife actually had a baby the day of the game. And so he stayed home to be with his wife and newborn baby. Uh,
0: congratulations, Matt. W- what was the the name? Miller James? Yep, Yeah. Miller James Beisler uh, looks adorable. Matt posted a couple pictures. I think that's if you're going to have one of your locked on starters sit out, that's probably the best possible reason for them to miss a game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Julio Cascante started in his spot. The rest of the back line was the same. So it was uh sweat Cascante at the left center back Romagna in his normal spot. And then Lima at the right back uh, then in the midfield is where the next surprise came. So before the game, there was social media posts of Tomas Pochettino getting on an airplane with the rest of the team. Uh game time rolls around, the lineups come out, and you look at the lineups. Pochettino is not in the starting lineup. You look at the bench, Pochettino is not on the bench. Uh there is no there was no explanation for any of this. It's just he's just not there. We didn't know what happened to him. And so we didn't find out until about 26 minutes into the game. And the club released a statement saying, quote, we were recently made aware of, of a potentially league-related administrative issue regarding Tomas Pochettino's registration. While the league believes there are no issues, they have requested re- we remove him from the starting lineup out of an abundance of caution. We are hoping to receive res- resolutions shortly. Um, and then Chris Bills asked Josh Wolf this, in the press conference after the game. Uh, and Wolf said, we were made aware, <laughs> essentially quoted the exact thing. So he had, he had kind of, I think they had given him that line to say like, this is exactly what we're supposed to say and not give any other information. Cause Bill's kind of pushed, pushed him to give a bit more information. It's like, when did we find out? And it got nothing, but the, the fact that the lineups were delayed coming out and that Pochettino was on the plane and looked like he was, going to play or at least be on the bench. Um it seems like it was kind of a last minute deal.
0: Yeah, I think it had to be. And that that was a good point that I was going to bring up is, you know, the lineups should usually come out an hour before and I think we got it 20 20 minutes before or 25 minutes before or something and there was clearly a hole in the lineup. And when Chris asked, like the first time he asked, like Josh gave the answer off the press release and then Chris tried to ask a follow-up question and then he got cut off, and then later on, he had the chance to ask it again, and kind of got the same answer again. So clearly, there's, it's a challenge. And you know, the other thing is, like, we don't know any more today than we did two days ago, and I expect it'll come up again on Tuesday. And I don't know if we'll have any more information then either. So it could be, it could be a saga. Well, but hope not, because this is not a Miami situation where, you know, we have four DPS. Like we only have two. So I mean, I, I can't right. imagine something. It's like a super weird situation that can't get resolved.
1: Yeah. The way that people that just the league and the team talked about it, it doesn't seem like it's something super serious and hopefully that's the case. But uh, yeah, we just don't have much information. So hopefully we'll find out this week that everything's fine and he'll be available on Saturday. Um, The other, so yeah, Fagundes ends up starting in his place. So the midfield ends up being ring Pereira and Fagundes. Uh, Then, in the forward line, the, I, the only change, I don't know that it's so much uh, a surprise, but Stroud ends up starting on the right wing instead of Redis. Um, it could have been because of the performance. Stroud did look really good last week in the, the time that he spent on the field. Uh, but also Redes is coming off of a, a minor injury, so he could just be resting Rediz. Um But I, yeah, I, I don't really know exactly why he started, but it, it wasn't... I didn't think too much of it. I I thought it could have been either way. And I think most people would be happy with either way, just based on how Stroud and uh, Redis have performed so far. Then for uh, Colorado, Sam Vines, their their normal left back was still out. So Kellen Acosta uh, ended up starting at left back again. That was really the only change for them. Um, Yeah, let's jump into the game, I guess. So for the first few minutes, um, Austin kind of struggled to to move the ball around. Colorado was defending in a, in a 4-4-2, and they're essentially man-marking our center mids. So Pereira and Fagundes were being man-marked by uh, Jack Price, and I can't remember who the other one was. Uh, and then the two center backs were also being pressed by the two forwards, and so they're putting a lot of pressure on those four players and so Ring ended up dropping between the center backs. The center backs would split and Ring would drop between them to get on the ball, which is something we didn't see a lot of in, in the last game and in preseason that much against teams that played just one center forward. Um, so that was kind of a variation we saw just to kind of help move the ball forward. And we, we would see Hoosen drop in deep pretty regularly into the midfield to, to become an option to kind of break that line. And yeah, it, it, they had a little bit of difficulty at first, but then it didn't take them too long to kind of get a few a few uh steady steady uh stretches of possession going. Uh in the 6th or 7th minute I think it was, uh Husin drops deep and receives the ball from Fagundes, holds it up and then plays it out to the right wing to Stroud. Stroud dribbles inside and does a little give and go 1-2 with Husin. Uh, Hussen one time flicks it over the back line for Stroud, who's running in behind and gets a shot across the face of goal, but ended up going wide. So that was like the, really the first chance that Austin got, which was six or seven minutes in, which was a lot better than what we did against LAFC, right? We didn't see a solid chance for a long time against them. So, um, that was an early, early promising play. Uh, and then in the 10th minute Pereira and ring kind of corral Eunice Nomley in the midfield. Pereira takes it off of him, drives, and starts a counter, which is something that we've seen a few times from him now, which is really, really great to see from him. And it's kind of a breakaway with with the back line kind of on their heels. And he's got Stroud on his right, Cecilio on his left, and Huson is kind of trailing him just to his left. And um, he tries to play Stroud through on the right, plays a through ball behind the center back, and he can't quite get there. And I, I almost think maybe he would have been better to maybe cut it over to Cecilio with Hooson running in there. And Cecilio would have had some options and would have been on his strong foot. But um, yeah, maybe he he could have had some better awareness there, but again, really promising to see him starting counterattacks like that. Uh, I think the next, the next moment of interest was in the 20th minute when Ben Sweat goes down with an injury to his left knee. And it's, uh, it looked very painful. I don't know what you guys could see f- from inside the stadium there, but it, it, you couldn't see much. Like it didn't look like much happened, but just the way he reacted, it looked pretty bad.
0: Yeah. That's exactly what we saw. I mean, we couldn't see a lot of it, but yeah, he went down. I mean, he stayed down and when they, you know, when they sent like the stretcher over for people, that's never good. And then they, he actually, cause of the way the stadium was configured, like he came out, they, they took him out sort of through Uh, our section through where we, through where we were. And that's where you would think if, you know, like we were chanting his name and stuff, you would, you would expect like a thumbs up or whatever. And he was just like in such clear agony that like, he just didn't even react. And that's when you're like, okay, this is a very serious thing that he can't, you know, he didn't like respond or acknowledge or acknowledge anything, but he was, he was just down and out. And so I would, we don't have an update yet. I, you know, again, expect that. I think Josh's press conference is on Tuesday, you know, we might get some of some kind of update then, but I, really feel like that's a long term injury that we'll have to that we'll have to deal with.
1: Yeah. Um so Jean Kolmanich ends up coming in uh at left back to replace him. And so once once Kolmanich comes in, I don't know if these two things were necessarily related, but something that we'll come back to later in the game is Cecilio had been staying kind of wide and sweat would overlap sometimes, but and Cecilia was was kind of staying on the wing or at least pretty high. And something he starts doing at this point is uh, he starts moving inside a little bit and kind of dropping in between lines into the midfield. And Kolmanich would push higher and wide up the field and was doing like overlapping a bit more aggressively on that left wing. And it almost immediately started leading to some some dangerous moments for Austin on that side. So that will, like I said, we'll talk about this more, but that, that little shift ends up being kind of what breaks the game open later in the game. And so I think it's really encouraging and really cool to see Josh Wolf making these tactical shifts in the middle of a game after 20 minutes, having seen just a little bit of what we were struggling with making this little
0: change. And in the second half, it ends up being what changes the game. So One thing I want to point out on the right that it seemed like in the in the stadium, and I don't know if if it was like that watching the video, is man, Romagna was heavy on the ball to Lima. It was it was like he started to attack him with it. You know, I think there was (laughs) there was one point like where he fired the ball like at Lima's face, and he kind of went out of bounds, and Lima just like stopped and like held his hands out. I'm like, what are you trying to do? Like we're on the same team, and I think that was part that was a part of the problem in the play. Though I think on the right side, like in the first half, is that was they were not fluid and they weren't making connections. And some of it was just, I mean, Romagna had a really good game, but you know, he's not, I don't think he's quite there yet in terms of being able to like create on offense. Yeah. I I
1: thought, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of give little reviews of, of each player a little later on, but I thought he, uh, he did end up looking, having a pretty good game Romagna. But, um, what so Col- one of Colorado's kind of main plans was to overload the midfield they had that that line of four in the midfield to austin's three in the midfield and really just kind of overloaded it defensively wanted to get the ball and then counter and break really quickly and uh i mean partly to take advantage of austin's high line but also one of our center backs regardless of who it is, isn't going to be the fastest. So if it's Beisler or if it's Cascante, it's not going to be the fastest center back in the world. So um, they, they had quite a few pretty dangerous chances playing long balls to Michael Barrios on that right wing. Barrios is super fast, really dribbly guy. He's not always the best finisher, but he's always dangerous. But there were several chances early on and Cascante in the, the back line dealt with it more times than not. they I mean, that only goal, which we'll come to, didn't come from a moment like that. So I, I thought they looked pretty good dealing with, with kind of Colorado's main game plan, which is that fast counter counter attack up the wing. And yeah, I think if, if maybe Colorado had been a little more clinical, there could have been more than just the one goal in the first half. So, uh, speaking of goals, we can come to their first goal. So Colorado is generally pretty dangerous on set pieces, Jack Price uh, is their corner taker and their set piece taker for the most part. And I think he got, I don't know how many assists last season just off of set pieces and how many goals they got from set pieces. And that's exactly what happened in the 37th minute. Uh, Jack Price takes the corner. He plays it high and kind of about the edge of the six yard box, right in the, right in the center of the box there. Um, It's in Austin's playing kind of like a zone coverage on corners, there's a player in front of Romagna, and so he kind of takes a step forward and then realizes the ball is actually going over his head to Shinashiki. Uh, Shinashiki jumps really well, and because Romagna had kind of taken that step forward, he has the jump backwards and gets beat in the air. Uh, and I think he, he just kind of got caught in two minds there, which led to the goal, and um, hopefully learn from that and do better. But um, what was what was the mood like in the stadium at that point, Jeremiah? After that first goal?
0: Not great. <laughs> I mean, I mean, no, I don't, that's, that's a technical definition. No, I think, you know, it's just like it was a different experience between like watching it in the stadium and going back and watching it. I think a lot of us just felt like we hadn't connected a lot of play. Like we, we, we seemed kind, of, kind of lost, you know, we didn't see a lot of forward momentum. So to have that happen and then, and then to see that goal, which happened, in, which happened in our end and awesome. Which, what's amazing is like all four goals happen on our end when we get to the happy ending of this. But, you know, to see that, I think folks were fairly deflated from that because there weren't a ton of opportunities we created. You know, there was the LA game last week. And so we're, we were a bit down. Luckily, La never stopped like singing and being loud. But, um, yeah. th- but generally, you know, I think there was a, bit, a little bit of a despair uh, at that point in time.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I was curious to see how you guys felt because I'm, I'm just kind of an optimist in general. And so I didn't, I hadn't gotten down yet. I think that we had seen enough possession already and it created a few chances that I wasn't like, I I thought that we could still do it and there's still a a decent chance that we could come back. But, uh, I was very nervous at that point for sure. (laughs) Um, in the, Forty seventh. Oh, so yeah, that's that. That's halftime. That takes us to halftime. I think Josh Wolf must have given an amazing speech at halftime because coming out, they looked like a different team. They lo- ended up looking a little shaky right off the bat for a few minutes, but then after that, started looking really good. And Cecilio Dominguez also didn't have a very good first half. I thought he looked pretty poor in the first half, actually, and he came out and was. Rocking in the second half. So, um, in the forty seventh minute, right after halftime, uh, Pereira takes the ball off of Price around midfield and starts dribbling away. Price comes back and just two footed tackles him.
0: Oh, that was such takes an him ugly down tackle!
1: Hard. Yeah, hard. Yeah, it was bad. Um, that was this. He got a yellow for it. It very well could have been a red. Um, I don't it. It was like right on the borderline. I know you watched the game back. Did you think that should have been a red?
0: I felt like watching the video. Yeah. The second time and not, I felt like more like it should have been red than seeing it in person, you know, because it able was to see the recording. Yeah,
1: definitely. I think the two feet. And then also it was clearly retaliation for Pereira taking the ball off of him. He just went and like, I'm going to go destroy this kid now. And yeah, he took him out. So I thought it was right on the borderline there. But that was he got a yellow card earlier in the game. Someone it was Shinoshiki got uh, a yellow card in the 40th minute for for pulling down Pereira on a breakaway. And so they were just like going to town on poor little Danny
0: Pereira. <laughs> but he never he never let it show, man. He was so composed and so. Yeah, good. he really was. And um, he, he is the owner of our first yellow card, which we'll get to. In, in, in a moment, yeah.
1: but all, all three yellow cards involve Danny Ferreira. <laughs> um, so I mentioned Cecilia Dominguez not looking great in the first half, uh, in the 49th minute, Cecilia gets the ball out on the left wing, uh, and gets fouled. And it's probably about three yards outside of the, the 18 yard box and about eight yards off the end line. So it's a really tight angle. Um, but it's, it's close to goal, but a really tight angle. And so I was, I don't know, did, did you think he was even thinking about no. shooting or? No. Yeah, it was a crossing scenario or like maybe no. playing it to the top of the, the top of the box for a shot or something like that. But he ends up just ripping a shot high and near to the near post and it smashes off the crossbar and goes down. I think Cascante ends up trying to hit it, but he's off balance and kind of. Caught him off guard, and he ends up playing it out for a goal kick. But that would have been amazing if he'd have been able to score that free kick.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that was. Oh man, it was it was such a shot. And I don't. I feel like from watching the other players, nobody was expecting that, right? Like the people were running at the goal like they were expecting a cross, not like they were thinking it was going to be a shot that they needed to react to.
1: Yeah, and Austin has done a few like kind of um, choreographed set plays in both of these games. And so Fagundes was out there with him and Fagundes runs over the ball and kind of starts running towards the penalty spot. And so I think that little bit of distraction was like, okay, they're going to, they're going to try something here. And then Cecilia just rips it and catches everyone off guard. But the keeper had no chance. He was not going to stop that. If it would have been a few inches lower, that's, that's the first goal right there. Uh, And that would have been an amazing first goal. (laughs) Um, But yeah, after this point, things start to look different. Um, Austin really starts they had some difficulty playing through the midfield in the first half. But after that moment, Austin really kind of starts carving through uh, their midfield. And it was that movement I discussed earlier with Cecilio, not staying wide and kind of moving into kind of that, that half space in between lines and moving inside a little bit. And that little move started so many dangerous moves. And I think they, it started when Kolmanich came on, but I think probably at halftime, Wolf told him, like, do this and do it hard. Like, this is the move now.
0: Yeah. And that's and what Josh that, said. I think in the postgame press conference, he talked about at halftime, they they mentioned structural things um, and getting better at positional play. And that's what it, and what he said was that most of it was driven by Cecilia, that it came down to like this coordination and creating space and creating angles. And Cecilia just kind of took the game over, which was good to see because I think we, Knew he had it in him, and it was it was good to see him make just like make this game his own. He was amazing.
1: Yeah. So in the 59th minute, um, Cecilio is dribbling laterally, kind of just past midfield, uh, and trying to find a, a hole to cut in or a pass. Um, Jack Price puts in a tackle, and the ball kind of pops straight up, but Cecilio is able to get to it and heads it down to Pereira. Pereira starts driving forward. There's two guys right there and neither of them step to him. And he just like, all right, see ya. And just, just slips right in between them and drives forward. Uh, there's a, a defender there and he just keeps driving straight at that defender and is going to make that defender commit to him. Once that defender steps, Stroud is running up the right edge of the, of the box. And so he plays Stroud out to the right, um, who pushes it to the end line and he just rips in uh, about a waist high across, just right across the goal line there. And Hoosen is running to the near post and kind of holds up because if he keeps running, he's just going to run out of bounds. And so he holds up uh Keegan Rosenberry ends up kind of running past him and getting in front of him and jumps to try to block it. And the ball bounces off of his butt and goes straight down into the ground and then bounces over to the far post to Fagundes, who's just who's following up that run and uh, just runs up and easily slots it in at the back sides. So that was Austin FC's first ever goal, which was really amazing. But um, I think the kind of the build up to that play was really encouraging. And then also just the kind of the game plan that led to that. So Stroud puts it into that dangerous position, and Fagundes is the one that it falls to. But if you watch the replay back, Cecilio and Pereira are running down the middle of the box. And so Stroud could have put it in several different places or that ball could have bounced to several different places and there would have been someone there to put a shot on goal. I think Fagundes was the highest percentage one to fall to just because he was so close and the keeper was on the the other side. But um, there was a high chance of wherever that ball fell that a shot was going to get off for sure, which I think is... It's just going to be part of Austin's game plan is get the ball into dangerous positions and get numbers in that box to to try to get something into the goal, which is exactly what happened in this one. It wasn't the prettiest goal, but it also wasn't a fluke. It happened because of how well worked that play was by Austin. How like again, what was the reaction reaction in oh, the, well, uh, in the yeah, stands it was, there? It was
0: insane in the <laughs> corner. Yeah. It was, it was great. And then, you know, he ran over and Cecilia ran over and like, he threw up the LV hands and his commitment to, I I don't know if you saw the tweet after the game, my favorite part was he said like, yeah, I beat a bunch of Los Verdes people at foot golf. And I agreed that I would like make this hand sign. If I scored the first goal, I think he committed to like making the hand sign. If he scored the first goal, I I remembered
1: them saying that in Slack that he's, he told us he would throw up the LV if he scored a goal. And I was
0: like, all right, we'll
1: see if he remembers that. And he did first. Yeah first goal yeah, in Austin fc history his first goal for the team he threw it up right there yeah. boom
0: yeah it was beautiful and i love that he made sure to point out that he beat them at foot golf uh, <laughs> yeah because <laughs> t- like he should man you're a professional soccer player like you, sh- you should win at foot golf over a bunch of guys <laughs> but no it yeah. was it was really it was really cool and it was good to see like him and cecilio and then by that time they were running the subs kind of on the back line like uh, Burhalter halter was over there galler was over there so they kind of had this big like seven-person celebration with the people who are warming up to come in.
1: Yeah, that was awesome. Um, Not long after that, they make the first subs. So it's the 67th minute. Uh, Gallagher comes on for Hoosin, and Redis comes on for Stroud. Um, Immediately after the subs come on, it's like the first play that they're involved in, Colorado are restarting the play with a free kick from inside the 18-yard box. I think it had been offside call or something. And so they play it short to one of the center backs and they're just going to try to play it on the ground out of the back. Austin starts pressing them, puts them under pressure. Uh, Fagundes kind of traps Cole Bassett on the sideline and just takes the ball from him, just kind of bullies it away from him. He's like, this is mine now. And turns around, uh, runs, um, who was it? Yeah, dribbles directly at Price and kind of makes him commit. And then plays the ball to his, uh, to his left towards the goal to Gallagher, who's running running there. Gallagher runs straight at uh, the center back, Danny Wilson, and kind of like tries to dribble around him, but Wilson puts in a, a tackle and pokes it away just right at the right moment. Uh, Cecilio, it, it only rolls a few feet, but Cecilio ends up getting there before Wilson's able to recover and plays a low curler into the far corner. And it was a really nice finish for, for that second goal. That one, I think that's probably like the nicest goal of the night for sure.
0: Yeah. That was a really good shot from him. And that, in that moment we were down like with the, with the Murga and uh, like Kirk Mangum was crying from excitement about being there. (laughs) And it was like, the most emotional and exciting moment maybe of my life was to be, would be there with him and like <laughs> see us. Cause like we had just seen the first goal and now we took like our first lead ever, you know, and, to come, and for that to come from Cecilio, um, was so awesome.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I definitely like jumped up and screamed in my living room. My, my family came to town. It was our first fully vaccinated gathering. And so we were actually like just hanging out in, in a living room and it was very nice, but, uh, yeah, I probably scared them all whenever that goal went in because I jumped up and started clapping and yelling, and yeah, it was very exciting. But that was um, a nice finish. And one one thing I realized that I saw when watching the replay is they showed like kind of a slow motion close up of William Yarbrough, their goalkeeper. And I I was like, did he just yell what the heck at his defense? And and so I looked up his Wikipedia page, and he was born in Mexico to missionary parents and is a devout Christian. And so I think he really did. Like he looked really angry yeah. and he said, what the heck? <laughs> so that's a, a fun fact about William Yarbrough is even in the worst of moments, he will not say, he will not
0: use foul language even when he's angry. Yeah. And I thought I remember him, but he, he had a brief spot with the national team, I think. Yeah. When he mid- was
1: young, he, yeah. um I think he played, a lot with the youth teams and tournaments and was kind of people kind of thought he was going to be one of the guys who might compete for a, a spot on the first, like the full national team. And I don't think that ever really panned out, but yeah, people, people were pretty excited about him when he was younger. Um, all right. So Austin's up two one in the 71st minute, just 11 minutes after the first goal. Austin's third goal comes and it comes from that same pattern that we're talking about. Cecilio dropping in between lines and Cascante plays it in hard to Cecilio. Um, he just gets to it. There's a defender right on his back and he kind of goes up in the air and just gets a foot to it and flicks it out to the left, uh, the left sideline to an on rushing He pushes forward into space. Um, there's nobody in the box. He kind of got out ahead of, of his front line there. So there's nobody in the box, and so he plays a low, hard ball just kind of straight across the top of the box where Redis is kind of running across the top of the box there. Redis uh, settles it with his foot and kind of one-touches it back over to Cecilio. Uh, Cecilio hits it first time, and it looks like he's aiming at the far post, but it ends up deflecting off of uh, Danny Wilson's leg and just bounces in at the near post because almost exactly the same thing as what happened to Stuver. In, against LAFC, whenever a ball bounced off Lima's leg, once it caught that deflection, there was no no chance. It was just going to go in. So same thing happened there. Again, I think the, the finish was a little bit lucky there, just the way it deflected, but there was nothing lucky about the buildup. And so I think overall, it's a very well-earned goal. Again, even, even if that one like like I said, the the deflection was a little bit lucky, but the buildup was really really good and and well earned. I thought.
0: Yeah, there's that like old sports saying about how you create your own luck, and I feel like there was a lot of that there. Like, if you, there's enough creative play and just numbers in the box that it was bound to happen. And maybe those goals weren't going to happen in those exact situations, and those were a little bit of luck. But they they were felt like they were going to come no matter what, just with the, with the way they were playing in the second half. You know, maybe they were Stroud and Gallagher or whatever, but they were they were really really good and really clear and really following Josh's plan for how to attack in the second half.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so at this point we feel like it's our game, right? Um, Colorado ends up with a few other kind of dangerous chances throughout the game. In the 80th minute, Jonathan Lewis gets it, uh, outside of the box and rips a shot in, um, and Stuver makes a really good one handed save and that's in the 80th minute. In the 85th minute, Mane comes on for Cecilio and Burhalter comes on for Fagundes. Um, there's not a ton of action after that. There's a few chances both ways. Oh, there's one moment in the 76th minute to go back a little bit. John Gallagher gets an open header in the middle of the box and just kind of whiffs it and doesn't catch it. Yeah. Bounce off, bounces yeah. off his shoulder and just kind of trickles away. But he should have scored that one. There is nobody touching him when he got there so that it could have been 4 one there. And there was a few other shots as well that it could have been worse than it was for sure. And yeah, after, like I said, those subs come on, Austin's pretty happy just kind of play the ball around at the back and kill off the game. And, uh, yeah, Austin ends up with their first ever victory, or as Adrian Healy put it on the broadcast, uh, he said Austin have gate crashed the party and spilled Verde wine all over the carpet. <laughs>
0: I love it. I just I, <laughs> I didn't pick up on that one, but it's perfect. I I don't I guess we probably don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but man, Healy and Lahoud are so good. And we talked about that before, but I, when I went back and watched it, it's like they're they just like the chemistry. I mean, it seems like they've been doing doing this together for years. And you know, yeah. Adrian's a super pro, but like Michael Lahoud as an analyst is a revelation given like how much experience he has, I thought.
1: And that's mind you that's the local broadcast that was going out on antenna and on the Austin FC website like that's the level of our local broadcast i don't if you've watched some of these regional broadcasts on espn plus you'll know that this is a luxury and we knew healy was going to be good but like you said lahoud for having not done this very much he's very good and, and and slotted in really well right next to healy there so yeah Count your blessings with that one, Austin fans. We we won big. So, all right, let's um let's maybe just go through and, and talk about players we thought stood out. Um wh- are there any particular players that that you want to mention first?
0: Yeah, when I started this, I had like all i had like eleven or twelve players on the list because like everybody everybody did well, so good. I, I, mean, I
1: have notes for all of them. So okay, if you, you want do. to talk about any of them. No.
0: I mean, I'll, I'll, so I'll just pick a couple. I mean, I, I think, like, Cecilio's obvious. I think Pereira's obvious. I think we've talked about Kulnich. We, we may want to expand on that. I thought Cascante, like, given my very low expectations for him, is probably the person that most outperformed it. And he did it in a bizarre kind of way. Like, he he knew that he was not the fastest guy in the world. He was just, like, he made good decisions. He was always positionally accurate. Like He didn't make mistakes. Like, he was just, like, he played smart And he played within himself, and he knew when to take opportunities and like when to sit back. And just he played a pretty like clinical kind of match. I was really really excited about the way he played. Yeah, totally agree.
1: Um, some of those long balls, it would it would make you nervous, right? With Barrios running in there and Cascante had a full sprint back towards the goal, but he did it right every time. Like he never messed any of those up. Barrios never got any dangerous chances from those moments. And so uh again, like you said, like Beasler did against LAFC, didn't and like kind of like he's done for the last several years of his career. Not the fastest, not the most athletic, but he's gonna put that foot in the right spot at the right time and it's gonna work out. And then he also made a few kind of smart tactical fouls, which after uh the Houston preseason game when he got burned by Pico on that breakaway, when he could have done a tactical foul. I've seen him do a few in, in preseason and in, in the game against Colorado when something could have turned into something and he just sticks the leg out or grabs a guy's shirt or something and just takes the foul there, which is the smart thing to do in a lot of situations. So that was really encouraging as well. On the ball, um, again, Beazler-like, he was breaking lines with the passes and he actually played the ball to Cecilio on the first goal and on the third goal. Kind of the the ball, line-breaking pass that started the whole movement. He played both of those balls to start both of those moves. So, uh, yeah, really great performance from Cascante. Uh, Who else stood out to
0: you? Well, I would like to know kind of who. Do you have anybody else that was the same way? Like, do you have anybody that you weren't expecting that much of that you really got a lot out of?
1: Uh, Diego Fugundes. I was really happy with how he played. And it wasn't necessarily, I'm not necessarily surprised that he played well. I'm surprised at some of the specific things that he did really well, which was his defending. He was really good in the press, um, really aggressive, but smart. Like he wasn't just running people over. He was being pretty crafty with the way he was being aggressive. And then in transition, there were several moments where there would be someone running down the wing, but then another midfielder kind of cutting in to the inside and he and Lima and he and Romagna were like talking to each other and just communicating really well. It's like, okay, you take this guy, I'm going to step here. And it went off flawlessly. Anytime the ball came down that side and there was kind of some type of tricky scenario, they seemed to get through it really smoothly every time because they were communicating really well. So um, yeah, really smart play. As far as like the things that I expected him to do coming into this team were like playmaking things. And he didn't do a ton of that. It was mostly just being like a connective player in that area and then being there when he needed to be, and then being a team player while defending. And he just was really solid all the way around.
0: Yeah. I I did notice that too. In the first half, I remember when, when things, you know, we didn't feel like we were that aggressive, but, uh, he did, he did a really good job of like going back and doing the work that you know we had heard that he didn't love to do right that we thought that was going to be like the reason for his fallout in new england but he was he was committed to it so that was good so let's let's talk about uh kolmanich how'd you how'd you feel about that
1: i thought he was fantastic i thought he was so good i know during the la game he came on for a bit at the end and people were people were kind of excited about him i think i heard a few people saying that oh he should start over sweat immediately he's so he's that good And I was really kind of concerned about how his defending would look over the span of an entire game. Um, And so, yeah, I just wasn't exactly sure what he would look like, but he ended up holding his own against Barrios on that right side, uh, cut out a a few passes just from having good position, looked good pressing the ball. And then yeah, going with Barrios kind of rushing at him on that right wing, he held his own and defended really well. So I thought he was fantastic. It's it's sad to see Ben Sweat get injured, but to know that we have this kind of guy waiting in the wings to come on, that's very encouraging.
0: Yeah, and we we'll have to get into like what this means. I think the depth is gonna be a question, but like you, I was like we knew, like he we we knew he was a crossing machine, right? And he did that. Like I think at one point I asked Wellhausen, like does this guy do anything but fire and crosses? But he he held up on his own defensively, which I was a little bit surprised, positively surprised by too, for sure. Um and then, you know, Josh uh Wolf had a lot of uh uh compliments for Stroud too, which I believe the he the actual quote was Stroud's awesome is, yeah. is what he's <laughs> what he said in the post game press conference. So, you know, I think the energy and intensity, you know, um, and I think the way he stretches the field is, is really good. So it was, it was good to see him do that. And I think he and Rodney, are good compliments to each other too, to have like somebody on the right side running all the time for 90 minutes.
1: Yeah. To, to have two guys who can play kind of similarly like that and just wear teams down. It's yeah. I, I was really impressed with Stroud just work great, uh, chasing down loose balls, getting into dangerous positions, putting in crosses. Uh, yeah. He, he looked really good. Um, one other thing I wanted to, you kind of, alluded to this earlier, but Danny Pereira, he just put in like a real, like workman's performance played full 90 minutes. They were Colorado. Like I said, was kind of packing the midfield. And so they made it difficult for him to get on the ball sometimes. And then also all those fouls against him. When he did get on the ball, he would just get thrown to the ground several times. And so I think he could have very easily gotten, uh, just really frustrated, but he kept his cool, uh, Diego Rubio went after him a few times too. And like knocked him down was pushing him and kind of talking trash. He could have he could have lost his cool and gotten frustrated but stayed really cool, um, facilitated where when he was able to, but outside of that just did a lot of dirty work, kind of played defense, was really important in the press and and looked really awesome, put in a really great just kind of team player performance there. Like you said there's we could gush about All of the players, I don't think there's anybody who had a bad game. Like I said, Cecilio looked a little rough in the first half, but more than made up for that in the second half. Overall, a really solid team performance. As far as overall impressions, I think we can see the possession game and the style is there. We just needed that first goal to kind of tip it over the edge. We got that. That first goal happened. Uh, The press looked really good. We saw some really great aggression from the players in that press. And, um, uh, we also saw kind of our depth shine in this game. We were missing th- three starters that, um, two for sure that we were expecting to be there and needed to be there. And then possibly a third in Redis, uh, all three guys who stepped in, in those spots did great and were really important in this game. So that's r- another really encouraging thing to see in this game. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into previewing the next game against Minnesota, but I think most people are are pretty high on on our performance so far. Yeah,
0: it was it would be hard to find a uh to downside and I mean I'm kind of a Danny Hooson critic. Um but you know, even in, like he was doing what he was being asked to do in the first half, right? I mean he was he was playing back a lot. He was he was playing in the midfield a lot, which is what we needed. So, you know, I mean he wasn't great, you know, in 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 connection and you know in, in offense, but but he was doing what was expected of him. So like even that performance wasn't awful.
1: I think for the most part, um, there's one thing that he's not doing that really frustrates me. And it's when there's a lot of space towards the near post, like the ball's coming up a wing and there's space at the near post. He never makes that run. And there was times one, one time specifically when Kolmanich had just come on, puts in a really dangerous cross that if he had made that near post run, Stroud was already going to the back post. And so he essentially crowded Stroud out at that back post and there was nobody on the other side of the field. And so if he makes that near post run and Stroud goes to the far post, then there's two options there for Kolmenech to aim at. But it's just like he's like afraid of the near post. He will not make that run and never does it. And I think that's one thing that I don't, I can't imagine Wolf is telling him not to run to the near post because Gallagher does it every time he's on the field. So, um, again, yeah, I'm, I think there are some things that like you said, he's being told to do and doing things that are expected of him. But I also don't think he's doing any of those things well enough to be untouchable at this point And wouldn't be surprised if, if Stroud ends up starting over, or sorry, Gallagher ends up starting over him at some point. All right, so should we uh, take a break and then come back and talk to Eric Goodman? Let's do that. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Eric Goodman of the Austin Chronicle. Moonshower Soccer is once again brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury
0: lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And we've talked a lot about how they're a different kind of law firm, and they seem to be great people. And so I can extend this beyond just the partners at FVF Law, but also to Zach Vogelman, brother of Josh Vogelman, who I'd like spent a lot of time with in... Denver this weekend like Zach's a lovely person loves his brother (laughs) loves his family loves his kids and so you know the FVF family is a great family all the way around so again if you're if you're looking for somebody to work with check out FVF Law yeah
1: so you can find out more about the Fogelman family and more about FVF Law at fvf.law once again that's fvf.law Drive wild, right out of my brain. all right we are joined today by eric goodman who is a soccer columnist for the austin chronicle covering austin fc eric thanks so much for joining us man
2: absolutely happy to be joining uh, just got off my flight from denver um, what a weekend uh, <laughs> i hope i uh, hope we can avoid any uh any audio uh, announcements but uh yeah great to be talking to the guys
1: yeah, Eric's actually in the airport, no, just hi. stepped off of a plane, and so he's he's a trooper for for joining us today. So we really appreciate it, um, Eric. So to start off with, just tell us a little bit um, about how you started writing about soccer, and then started writing about soccer for the Chronicle.
2: So. I was, the way this got started for me, I was super lucky. Um, Kevin Robbins, one of my, um, a good friend and and a former professor of mine at the Journalism School at UT, um, he maintains a Facebook group um, for alumni. So yeah, my old professor, Kevin Robbins, he caught wind of an opportunity that the Chronicle, the Austin Chronicle was looking for. Um, They're an alt-weekly paper, uh, and you know, if you're in Austin, you might have seen it, you know, stacks of it in in, um, coffee shops and cafes, and, and it's, you know, it's a pretty, fundamental part of, of Austin alt culture and they've never covered sports before. Um, they, they haven't dabbled into UT coverage. They kind of left that to the Statesman and traditional media, but Austin FC, um, they felt like it was something that they wanted to include in their coverage. And so um, I saw the post uh, that my professor, my old professor, Kevin Robbins um, put in the Facebook group. Uh, it was like, send an email and it was <laughs> one of one of the most difficult assignments uh, or 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 trial assignments I've ever done because it was talk about the three best and three worst players in MLS in 100 total words. So do the math, (laughs) do the math on how many words that is per bullet point. I think it's like, like 13 to 16 words per bullet point, um, which is not a skill that I've really had to implement in the, in my coverage, but it was a fun challenge. And um, it, I, the first assignment the first real trial assignment, because clearly, um, you know the the editors there, uh, which include Nick Barbaro, who's, who's the publisher and is someone who's been kind of an Austin soccer um, you know, prophet for for really for going on thirty years, like one of the first people to really cover soccer, especially in, in Austin, on a weekly basis. A um, so, so yeah, they felt. So the, my first assignment for them was to cover the expansion draft and just do a write up, do a recap on on what that was like, and that kind of got it got it started. And I started, um, you know, as as player acquisition started coming in, I, w- I would do news recaps, and eventually it just became uh, I, I was their guy for Austin FC, and and I you know I've tried to uh, maintain that as best I can uh, to the point where I was fortunate where they gave me a weekly column, uh, kind of replacing one that Nick Barbero had been writing, uh, and we called it the Verde Report. And, uh, it's kind of like the mainstay every week inside the print issue. Uh, I'm adding online only articles, but that's really like the, the core of our coverage is that, uh, is that article same spot every week in the Austin Chronicle.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask, cause I think the first time we talked, we were, ta- was like in January and we were talking about the development of the fan scene and it was all theoretical at that point in time. Right. Cause we were in the middle of a pandemic and we had no games and whatever. And so now you spent a weekend in Denver with Austin FC fans, like what did you expect out of this weekend? And then, you know, like what, what, how, how did it turn out for you?
2: Well, I think I was like a lot of people in, and I, I saw you tweeting about it at that time too, Jeremiah, when, when the first two road games came out, um, I guess the, you know, they, before they released the rest of the schedule, it was, it was number one at LAFC number two at Denver. And I think we all looked at that just, you know, being aware of the situation in Southern California that the first one and props to those who did make the trip but but for me it, it did not seem tenable uh and so I, and then seeing los verdes kind of put together this uh den Verde, uh first of all the name and then i kind of see this momentum build i did kind of have an expectation that it was going to be something special this weekend um i didn't know how special or what exactly it was going to look like Um, but it, it, it did not disappoint. And, uh, from, from the start, um, I was sad to have missed the, uh, the Friday night, uh, festivities, but, but from, from the start of the day around lunchtime, Saturday. So from the start of the day, um, at the Capitol, I was, I linked up with, uh, with the Los Verdes, uh, crowd of about, I think we counted like about 200 people that were assembled. And, um, from then all the way through, uh, till the start of the match. And then obviously, um, when things really picked up for Austin FC in the, in that second half and then through the end of the game, Um, just, just an incredibly special night to witness. And and in my case, to document. And uh, it's, it's a memory that, uh, you know, going forward, hopefully, if, if, you know, if I'm keep doing this for, uh, you know, an extended period of time and for anyone who was a part of it, I think that's kind of going to be going to feel like a true kickoff point for, for this whole story that we're kind of all part of.
1: So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be an important memory for me, and I wasn't even there. Just, like, seeing it on TV was was really cool. And then I one of my favorite videos that came out of this was actually one that you took from the press box, kind of that, that overhead view of the fans uh, jumping up and down and singing and chanting and playing the drums together. I think if there's a lot of MLS clubs, if you would have shown them that and said, like, told them that this was the home support they would have been like oh yeah that's amazing amazing home support really really solid group there but the fact that that was an away game and that that's all you could hear on the uh on the the broadcast was the austin fans singing and chanting i thought that was fantastic so yeah that's that's really awesome that both of you guys got to be there
0: so what what is your like have you had a lot of mls experience have you, have you seen a lot of matches? Like, how, how was that comparative? Maybe maybe what, you, I, what you've
2: seen. Sure. So, you know, I haven't seen a huge amount, but I actually have been fortunate to be part of, you know, and I, and I know um, the Colorado game was not Austin FC's very first game, um, but it kind of felt, you know, it felt like there was obviously a lot of firsts involved. And, and I was also fortunate uh, way back in 2015 to be in the uh, Citrus Bowl for Orlando City's first ever match. And um, now that that was a home match for them. They filled at sixty thousand strong, uh, and and that was you know an unbelievable thing to be a part of as well. And what was interesting about that game in Orlando was not only was it Orlando city's first ever game, it was also New York city FC's first game. So maybe that's kind of a relevant comparison. Um, I don't remember a a pretty, a boisterous NYC FC presence. Now they didn't have to wait as long for their debut game. I think they were going to have it the next week. Whereas Austin, you know, we're we've got a much longer wait, Um, but I've never seen any kind of away support like that. Even, even though, you know, the numbers, the numbers, I think Austin will have better numbers, especially in, in the texas, inner texas rivalry, um, might get more there. But but the people who did go, the commitment was just off the charts and, and, and it like it wasn't just within the 90 minutes. It was really, um, it was really from the moment that people touched down in Denver from what it seemed like to me.
0: So like generally, you know, you've, you've covered this for a while. Like what are, what are your impressions of the team to date? And what do you think we can expect going forward?
2: I mean, you, you, you can't, the impressions of the team are, are pretty positive so far from, from, I mean, that first match in LAFC, uh could have been a disaster, not a disaster. It could have been worse than it was by far. Um, I think Austin acquitted itself pretty well that first half kind of an a reverse of the story uh, of this game this past week in Colorado, when uh, Austin came out very flat or at least developed into, into a pretty flat run of play where um, they hardly created anything in that first half, Um, kind of the opposite of what we saw in Los Angeles. But then um, to put, to have two halves one in each game where Austin was by far the best team on the field, especially that second half uh, in Denver, um, I think shows kind of, that this team is, is not going to, it shows that Austin FC is kind of following into the category of expansion teams that are, that are building momentum at a very early stage. And, um, it, you know, there isn't too much of a middle ground in recent MLS history for expansion teams. You're usually either immediately competitive or pretty much a doormat. And, uh, so far it it would appear like Austin's going to fall into that first category.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We we hope you're right. We're we're very excited about it, and we look forward to reading uh, reading your coverage of it some more. So before we wrap up, tell our listeners where they can find your work.
2: Yeah, you guys can listeners can find my work uh, inside the Austin Chronicle. Again, you know it's it's free to read anywhere you can find it, um, and also austinchronicle.com. Um, we've got a little tab uh, for Austin FC now on the homepage, and uh, that's going to have. It's not just me. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of like. Uh, food and drink writers covering uh, the bar scene where Austin FC games are going to be shown, which is really fun. But yeah, that's where the br- front of my coverage is going to be.
0: Yeah, and so where can people find you on Twitter? Because I think Landon was very impressed with your Twitter handle earlier today <laughs> when we connected.
2: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Goodman.
1: What a get, man! At Goodman. There's a,
2: there, there's a bit of a there's a bit of an Austin related story to that. If you guys want the one minute short version, yeah, yeah we'd love it. it. So you know, I had I had some free time on Twitter a couple of years ago, um, and it was just searching handles that would apply to me, like you know, just to see what was available. I don't know what my handle at the time was, but it, it was it was something you know not not notable. And I saw at Goodman belonged to um, a Cedar Park resident named Goodman Holiday, and I don't know if. Goodman is uh, a fan of us and a see her if he listens, but uh, yeah, first person I've I've seen with Goodman is the first name, um, and I reached, I DM'd him, uh, just said, hey, you know, I don't know how married you are to this handle, but uh, I'd be happy to, uh, you know, give you twenty bucks for it if you'll sign it over to me, and <laughs> and he hit back, I'll do it for thirty, deal, deal, <laughs> send it awesome. over. And yeah That's so now fantastic. now now i have to now i have to live up to it and uh hopefully uh and make goodman weekend, holiday proud <laughs> and hopefully this past weekend uh kind of kicked kicked that off in, in a in a big way i i appreciate uh everyone who was uh who enjoyed the videos that i was sending
1: oh well, awesome yeah thanks for sharing that story with us and i also want to find out I'm not going to make you say this on air, but I also want to find out who you said were the three worst players in MLS. (laughs) I'll ask you that off air though. But, uh, yeah, Eric, thanks so much for joining us, man. This has been really great. And uh, we look forward to reading more of your work.
2: Thanks guys. It's been a
1: blast. All right. Safe travels, man. We want to thank Eric one more time for joining us. Uh, Jeremiah, let's jump into previewing the Minnesota United game. So um, real quick, give us
0: what their results were in the 2020 season. Yeah, so in 2020 in the MLS's back tournament, they finished second in their group. They made a good run in the playoffs. They defeated Columbus and San Jose before losing to Orlando 3-1 to in the semifinals of that tournament. Uh, they finished fourth in the regular season. Uh, and defeated our good friends in Colorado in the first round of the playoffs, I believe, because I think Colorado was fifth. Uh, again, made a, made a good run, and they had a dramatic loss to Seattle in the conference in the Western Conference Finals. I don't remember the specifics, but I think they were up they were up two zero. What like seventy minutes in, I think, and then Seattle scored three before they to make it to yeah. the finals against Columbus. Yeah, I think that's right.
1: Um, but yeah,
0: looked looked
1: really good at the end of last season. Um, so far this season, they haven't looked so good, but we can get into that a little bit more, but as far as changes in the off season, I think the biggest loss was Kevin Molino. Um, he ended up going to Columbus after his contract expired. So that's a big loss there. As far as players in, they brought in Will Trapp in the midfield, kind of, a uh, Ozzy Alonso is getting a little bit older, and so he's not going to be able to play every minute like he has in the past, so that's kind of a backup in, in one of those positions. Another big name they brought in recently is Ramon Avila, which goes by the amazing nickname of Juanchope. Uh, that's a season-long loan from Boca, and he is a TAM player. Uh, he's a kind of an out-and-out number nine. He's a former teammate of Reynoso at Boca Juniors. Um, he's only played 25 minutes so far this season. So, uh, we don't, I'm not sure if he's like still just working up to fitness from not having played for a while. Um, but we're not sure if he'll start against us or not. Uh, they also last week announced the signing of Adrian Hunu. I think is how you say it as their, uh, their next designated player. Um, but since that that it was just announced on Friday, I would guess that he's almost certainly not going to be available for the game against us this week. Um, as far as what to expect from them, Reynoso is, is the guy, right? He's, he's their main threat and maybe their only threat if Juan Chope isn't entirely fit yet.
0: Yeah. And he's, uh, a lot of people had him pegged as like an MVP candidate going into the season. Um, so he's kind of the, the, what the whole club works through. Interestingly, I was like, you know, we will trap, I'd forgotten that he was in Minnesota. Um, and in December we had a show where we speculated on how much fun it would be for Austin to sign will trap son of Columbus. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see him in Minnesota. I don't know how much he's actually I've played this year yet. Cause I haven't, I watched the Seattle, um, game, which they did not do great in, but, um, yeah, they're,
1: they're I think a- he's played a fair amount so far. I know he started in at least one of the games if not both of them.
0: So they they entered the season with high expectations based upon their performance in the playoffs last year. Um the development of Reynoso and they have not necessarily lived up to that. So do you want to talk a little bit more about what to expect out of them or should we get into the 2021 results? I I think we can
1: start with their 2021 2021 results so far. Um They've not been very good so far. Uh I don't think that necessarily means that they're going to be bad this season. They have a even though they lost Molino, this is still a very talented team. And with those two new additions that I mentioned before, they're gonna be like they have a lot of talent on the team. So maybe they're not gonna reach the heights that they reached at the end of last season, but I think they're still gonna be very good. Um Jan Gregoosh is a fantastic midfielder. They've got Will Trapp and Ozzy Alonso. Robin Lude has been very good for them. Um and then right now it looks like Juan Agadello and Robin Lude are kind of their only options at the nine if Juan Chope doesn't play. Lude is not really a number nine, but he played there a lot for them last season and did a, a pretty good job. So um I'd say if that's that's maybe their one weakness right now is not having a real number nine until Juan Chope is ready to go. But Um, if hopefully we catch them still on their poor run of form and are able to, to kind of walk through them like, uh, RSL and Seattle have done so far, but if they start clicking and look, even anything like they did at the end of last season, we could have some trouble with them. Uh, they, they do, they
0: have enough talent to do that if they're on, on the right night. Yeah. I want to go to their second game. So, I mean, I think, you know, Seattle, Seattle's good. Everybody expected that. I don't know if it, a, pe- a lot of people expected a lot out of RSL, but I did love the uh, Adrian Heath oh, commentary yeah. <laughs> about the uh, RSL goalkeeper. Um, and so the controversy comes, um, is, What's his, his name's Ochoa. What's, what's David, his first David name? O- David Ochoa. David Ochoa. Uh, at the, when the final whistle blew, uh, he to give RSL the final full three points, also a 20-year-old goalkeeper, turn around facing goal and kick the ball into the uh, Minnesota supporter section, which sort of created a mess out of that. Um, and I be Adrian. He said he got some edge to him for a kid. That's not that good, which yeah. seems like a <laughs> controversial thing to say when you just lost. I mean, what do you think about that?
1: I thought that was brilliant. I love that because and I think he's right. David Ochoa is like a young promising keeper, but it's, I don't know. It's the kind of thing that if you're going to do stuff like that, you need to be able to kind of back it up a little bit more than Ochoa is capable of at this moment in time. Um, I like, I'm not mad at anybody for any of this
0: because it's extremely entertaining. (laughs) It's great. Um, It's beautiful. Beautiful MLS like content for sure.
1: Nobody like nobody got hurt. It's like, it's petty (laughs) and like disrespectful probably, but like he didn't hurt anybody. He didn't cheat during the game, so I don't care. Keep keep doing stuff like this; it's fun to watch.
0: And so we've got that to look forward to this season. I mean, you know, they're at the bottom of the table in the Western Conference, so I do worry a little bit about the fact that they're just going to have a chip on their shoulder um, yeah. and not want to lose the first three. You know, the first three. So I would expect that to be. I expect it to be a really tough match. Um, on the road. Um, I should know this since I'm going to be at the game. But
1: do you happen to know what? Uh, percentage capacity they're letting into the
0: stadium right now i do not i think it's really i think it's really low um you know i went there like two years ago it's a great stadium and and it's a good experience so hopefully you'll get some of it um from being there
1: yeah um yeah, like you said, hopefully we get the uh, the weekend version of Minnesota United. Any other thoughts on Minnesota before we move on
0: to roster updates for Austin FC? No, I'm just looking looking forward to it again. And I believe, I'm planning on being out at Hop Squad uh, for that because that's the uh, Los Verdes Watch Party location. We had a good crowd last week even with a bunch of people on the road. And I think it'll be a great party on Saturday also.
1: Yeah, so check out Hop Squad. Check out what there's going to be lots of watch parties again, which will probably be the case for the rest of the season. So find your lo- your local bar that's going to have the game on and go check it out. Uh, all right, let's jump into some roster updates for Austin FC. So um, later this week, there's going to be press conferences with John Kolmanich and Diego Fagundes. So those should be pretty fun uh, for Jean, just kind of getting to know him a little bit. Uh, he does speak English which is good because I, I imagine Austin FC doesn't have a Slovenian translator on staff. Uh, but it'll, it'll, I think it'll be nice to just get to see what, what his personality is like. And then Diego, A, Diego is going to be fun anyway, just because he seems like a really fun guy. But the fact that he scored the first goal in Austin FC history, that should be a fun one. So we'll we'll have those updates for you next week on the show. And the latest news, which happened, we're recording Monday night. This just came out earlier today, is that Austin FC announced that they had acquired 22-year-old midfielder Emmanuel Manny Perez on loan from the Portland Timbers uh, for the 2021 MLS season, and they traded for that Austin FC's 2023 third-round Super Draft pick, and they have the option to trade for the players' permanent rights at the end of this season.
0: Um What else do we know about uh, about Manny Perez? Well, this is a Sebastian Berhalter like deal too, right? Exactly. Like yeah, in two in season loans with option to buy, which we know are rare. So yes, he was originally with Glasgow Celtic FC, Celtic, I guess Celtic. I don't know FC uh, Celtic. Yeah, it's Celtic. the
1: team. The team mainly known as Celtic. If you hear people talking yeah. about Celtic in Scotland, yeah. this is the team.
0: Yeah, but originally from North Carolina, but with him. And then was sent back on loan to USL Championships North Carolina FC for 2019 and 2020. And as far as I understand, like a lot of that was related to, to visa issues, you know, not related to performance.
1: Yeah, so he, he actually never played for Celtic. He was signed, and I don't think he was ever able to get a visa. So they essentially immediately loaned him back to USL, and he never got a chance to play. But um, was apparently pretty highly rated if if Celtic was signing him out of college there. So um, also another interesting thing about this is Portland acquired him from Celtic. And then, so Portland acquired him from a club. He never played a game for, then he never played a game for Portland and is coming directly to Austin on loan. And so he's got a pretty interesting transfer history already. Um, I think one of the interesting things, most interesting things about this is, and this is something that Elliot McKinley pointed out on Twitter. And then Chris Bills also pointed out in, uh, in his article on the striker today, but he, uh, Perez played for us youth teams, like us youth international teams. And so he is on the MLS allocation list. Um, Austin FC have the number one pick in the allocation order and Portland have the number 15 pick, which means that Austin passed him up in the allocation order. And that they would have had to for him to fall to Portland, who took him at number 15. So that means Austin wanted him enough to pay Portland for him. They're going to pay Portland some money if they end up uh, bringing him on permanently. So they wanted him enough to pay for him, but they didn't want him enough to give up that number one spot. So my question is, who or what are they saving that spot for?
0: Well, I mean, like, I don't have the allocation list right in front of me, but Weston McKinney, I think, it's on it. Like, let's, <laughs> that's probably, that's probably we're going to bring him back home and, and do it. That's yeah. my plan. Bring him to Texas. <laughs> yeah,
1: it I, it it means the my hope is. I mean, I don't I don't know if I have a specific hope for it, but it means they either have a player on the allocation list in mind to use that money on, or they know another team has their eye on someone on the allocation list and are hoping to to sell that spot for money or trade it for money. So uh it, that that'll be something interesting to keep an eye on as we approach the summer transfer window where Austin is expected to sign their third DP. so uh yeah, I don't know maybe I, I imagine there's going to be a lot of Austin fans studying that allocation list after after today but oh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see
0: what comes of it um I think the other thing that means is like it's the end of the Luis Argudo experiment right I think that 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 that's very clear and he'd look pretty good in preseason, but we felt like there were some you know hold ups about basically how much money he wanted to get paid versus how much he would play
1: yeah yeah i i think so i we saw this news come out and i kind of assumed that meant like okay Arguto's done and then chris bills was able to confirm that that uh, Arguto is no longer training with the team and has moved on um so yeah i i was looking up i haven't watched any of perez i don't really know what kind of player he is but based on position listings in Y scout he's played mostly like right wing, right wing back has played a little bit of fullback, but mostly like kind of a wing back position or like a, like a wide midfielder slash wing back position. So um, again, wingers FC, we've got tons of wingers, but it could be kind of a, a situation with like Hector Jimenez who just kind of a utility player can kind of slot in in a lot of different places. We seem to be pretty well stocked on the left side now that we have Kolmanich and Stanley and then Sweat if he's back healthy. Um, On the right side, really, it's just Lima who's a true right back. And then uh, Jimenez is kind of the backup there now. So maybe they're looking at him as a backup there and someone who can also play in the midfield a little bit. But I honestly don't know what position they're looking at him for. In any case, he's probably going to be on a, a supplemental roster spot and won't really be expected to contribute a ton uh, to the starting 11. But um, but yeah, as a new team, we just need some of those depth pieces. We just have far fewer players uh, top to bottom than, than established teams do right now.
0: Yeah, he, he didn't even rate green smoke. You know, like yeah, like like every other announcement we had. But yeah, early
1: on every every a player play. got green smoke. But I can't remember I think maybe it was um
0: uh Big Celery. What's his yeah, name? Yes, Schoenfeld. Schoenfeld. Schoenfeld was the first person who didn't get smoke, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think after a certain point, like, okay, only the big players get green smoke. If you're Tam or higher from this point forward, you that's when you get green smoke. If you're supplemental roster spot, no smoke for you. All right. Anything else before we finish up, Jeremiah? I think we've we've covered it all. All right. Awesome. Um, we'd like to remind you again to okay. rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we are still running uh, the the offer that we mentioned on the last episode, where if you uh, leave us a review. Let us know about it. We're going to make a $5 donation to the central Texas food bank. And then we'll also send you some moon tower soccer stickers. We have, I think we've had over 10 people write in letting us know that they've done it so far. And so really great response. We'd love to love hearing from you. A just like hearing in from you. People that I haven't really spoken to have reached out and, and said hi, which is really great. Um, and then also, we love seeing seeing the reviews. We don't care what you say in the review. We don't care how many stars you give us. Just give us a review, and we're going to give some money to a good cause. So uh, leave us a review. Also, go visit the striker Texas website. Uh, do you have any articles you want to point out this week, Jeremiah?
0: Well, i would go back to a review because I want to go back to Colby. Falkner, oh, go for James. It. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Col- Col- so Colby Falkner James left a review of a five-star. Colby, I, I spent a lot of time with because he's a drummer in La Merga. This weekend, and he was in Portland, but uh, he, he absolutely knew where to hit us, and his <laughs> review is, Jeremiah and Landon have the best Austin FC podcast in the game, but they drastically underrate Danny Houston's looks in favor of lesser-looking boys. So I'm glad that we <laughs> continued, continued the, the whole commitment to... I mean, we just got a handsome team at this point. I don't think we there's really any... Do. I don't think there's any other way around it. Um, if And Colby, if it
1: makes you feel better, my, my wife had, uh, had Hoosin rated pretty highly in her, <laughs> in her power rankings. So, so we, he is on the radar. There's just, again, there's, there's so many, so many handsome boys and just, let's just, let's just enjoy these beautiful
0: boys. So I think, yes, absolutely. So, so the question <laughs> about the striker website, um, I, there's, this happens every week, but maybe I only noticed it this week because it's awesome, but there's a striker Texas player of the week um, from a Texas-based team, and this week it was Cecilio Dominguez. So I would encourage everybody to check out Chris Bill's article about Cecilio and everything he did this week against Colorado.
1: Absolutely, all right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we'll review the match against Minnesota United, and then we'll also preview the following match against Sporting Kansas City, and then we'll cover any other Austin FC news that that happens in between now and then. We'll talk to you soon. Until then, my name is Landon Kado.
0: I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time.
1: When